In the name of science, today, I'm eating muffins. Baked by our freelance producer, Michal Stein. Well, let me tell you, there's something special about both of these muffins. Okay. One of them is from just a regular recipe from a regular recipe writer who I make her recipes all the time. The other was written by an AI. The challenge for me and our producer, Rachel, and our senior producer, Adrian, was to see if we can tell which muffin recipe came from AI. So is the rule that we're judging which one we think tastes better? That's We're judging which one we think is AI-generated. Okay. Like which recipe, the worst or the best one? Yeah. Well, so I guess you're kind of assuming. I'm assuming the AI ones are going to be worse, but I mean... Okay, so there's two different kinds of muffins, and they, they look kind of different, but let's see. Okay, I want to say that the really dry one is AI. Why? Well, because I feel like this this one, if you were like, give me a recipe for apple muffins, it would give you apples. And, you know, they would put apples into a muffin form. They may not, like, the they, the AI may not think to add the zucchini, carrots, raisins, etc. Mm-hmm. Also, it's just so dry. Over the past year, artificial intelligence has become a bigger part of our lives, thanks to ChatGPT. We even turn to it for food combinations and recipes. <laughs> I will agree that uh, muffin one, the carrot zucchini one, there's more stuff in it. Mm-hmm. It seems like what a human person, a baker, would would think that, you know, you should, like, pile stuff into it versus... Right. The second one, it's giving you exactly what you're asking it to give you. And just like looking at the consistency of it, like the first one seems and feels more like a muffin. I'm going to go muffin number one, the darker browner zucchini one, as the human recipe and the one that tastes best to me. I'm going to second that. I, I agree. I like muffin number one. Well, here's the thing. You guys got it. Okay, so we got it right this time. But the reality is that AI is becoming more and more common in the culinary world. And that is raising some questions. Globe reporter Anne Huey looked into this. She's thought a lot about the intersection of food and identity and has even written a book about small-town Chinese-Canadian restaurants called Chop Suey Nation. Today, Anne will tell us how the industry is using AI to innovate new food combinations and how technology has already changed our relationship with what we eat. I'm Manika Raman-Wilms, and this is The Decibel from The Globe and Mail. Anne, thank you so much for speaking with me today. Thanks for having me. I want to ask you about this new beer that this company uh, created. It's called Robo Beer, and they used AI, ChatGPT, to actually make this recipe. So can you tell me about this? How did, how did they do that? So this is a company out of Victoria, BC, and they're a, a small craft brewery, a very small brewery that's very focused on experimentation. So they're always, you know, trying out new recipes, trying out new uh, formulas. And so they did something very cool uh, late last year where they were playing around with chat GPT in their personal lives and, and also trying to experiment with you know, whether it could help them with their work as well. And so they got the idea to ask ChatGPT to come up with a recipe for beer. 
and uh, were very surprised to find it spat out a recipe very quickly that was not half bad. And and like did did it taste good? Like people said it was it was a decent beer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they had to make a few uh, adjustments, but they were able to produce it. They were able to sell a bunch of it, and you know they consider it more or less a, a success. Fascinating. I, I ask you about the taste just because we just did a, an AI taste test with muffins in the studio here. <laughs> How did that and go? a bunch of the producers. It was very interesting. We could tell the difference between the two muffins. And we did find the AI one. We thought it was the, the muffin that was not as good. Uh, so we thought the human recipe was better. But it's, it's interesting just to think about like, okay, so they're using this, this similar kind of process to come up with beer. And if you didn't know that it was made by an AI, you probably, I guess, may have not, I wouldn't have known the difference with the muffin. Mm-hmm. That's wild. All right. So like, this is the possibility now to go to something like ChatGPT or another AI to, to find a recipe, like a beer recipe, like a muffin recipe. Uh, but what are some of the other ways that we're seeing AI used in, in food production? You know, there have been a bunch of different ways of using AI across the food industry, just like we've been seeing AI implemented in all kinds of industries uh, around the world. And I think some of the the more obvious ones are probably similar to other manufacturing and production industries where they're using AI or kind of robotic technology to speed up processes or to kind of find more efficient ways of producing things. Mm. And with food companies, we're also seeing AI being used a lot in customer service. So for instance, you know, you have a lot of large food companies that are using chatbots as their, you know, first line of of customer service. Mm -hmm. There's also big food companies like Wendy's, for instance, has been experimenting with using um, AI chatbots to man their drive-through windows at their restaurants. So there's a lot Mm -hmm. of that kind of thing as well. But something that I think is particularly interesting has been the use of AI in new product or new recipe generation. So this idea of using AI technology to come up with either new dishes or new combinations of flavors and and tastes that, you know, human brains might not otherwise be able to come up with. And and so it sounds like we're we're often talking about like creating new recipes here too or new food combinations. Uh, I guess traditionally, how would this be done? Like if we're talking about a chef or a recipe developer, what is the process of them usually coming up with a new recipe or new food combinations? So when we're talking about historically how food and dishes have been created. You know, it's been mostly through tradition and knowledge that's passed on through many, many, many generations. That's essentially what a recipe is, right? It's somebody came across a combination of foods at one point and then they pass it on to others and they document it and that that gets passed on. And then when you're talking about kind of cutting edge chefs or even food companies in more recent history, when they're trying to come up with food, a lot of it is really trial and error. Cooking is trial and error. It's trying a lot of things. It's making a lot of mistakes. And then every once in a while, hitting upon something that's really great and something that tastes really good. And then you replicate it and then you fine tune it and you get to a place where it's, you know, something that you want to share. Okay. So, and when we're talking about that trial and error process, how would AI change that process? That's something that AI proponents say is really the main benefit of AI. It's in speeding up that 
that whole trial and error process, really hopefully helping us be able to fast forward through, you know, the first 99 tries where we were initially making mistake after mistake after mistake, and then getting to that 100th try that's, you know, reasonably informed um, so that where, say, a food product in the past might take weeks or even months or years to to get to a place where it was really, really good, um, you can now get to that final version in the time span of like weeks or even sometimes days. Hmm. And so what is what is the AI actually doing here to find the combination that works? Some of the kinds of thing that I've seen include um, there's this company called Food Pairing in Belgium, for instance, and what their technology does is it scans through a database of thousands of ingredients, analyzes them based on their flavor, aroma, and texture profiles. And in doing that scanning, they're able to come up with combinations or pairings, as they call it, of ingredients that, you know, you and I may not have thought could work well together or could taste good together, but that, you know, based on the science, they found actually share certain characteristics that might lend themselves to tasting good together. Wow. So that's really interesting. So it's essentially it's kind of looking at all these different kinds of food and it's breaking it down. It's like the the flavor profiles of each food, essentially, and then seeing like what could match with that. Mm-hmm. So they, they've they worked, for instance, with um, some uh, high end fine dining chefs, Michelin starred chefs uh, in, in coming up with ingredient combinations. Uh, one of the, the combos that they're well known for is the pairing of Kiwi with oysters, which I think, Hmm. you know, most of us probably wouldn't have thought would taste good together. No, we might not go to that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'm keen to try it. But again, it's not (laughs) something that, you know, we might initially think to do. Um, they've also worked with like big food companies to come up with new, say, potato chip flavor combinations, you know, so it's this technology that they're using that can potentially be used for kind of all different purposes. There's also a lot of AI companies trying to create recipes for fake meat. This is this is a big thing now too, right? And people have been working on plant-based meats for a long time. Uh, but I guess what what changes with AI? Like, what does this bring to the equation now? Yeah. So one of the companies that I looked at for this story is called Notco, and they're based in Chile, and they use um, again this AI technology to try to find plant-based ingredients in this world that we may not otherwise know can actually bring characteristics of meat or animal products to food. So for instance, their technology uh, has helped them discover that, for instance, the combination of cabbage and pineapple can replicate somehow the taste and texture and mouthfeel of dairy milk. So fascinating. Wow. Yeah, I mean, aside <laughs> from being very cool, uh, just from like a mm-hmm. science and geeky standpoint, and also, you know, being potentially commercially lucrative for Notco, what they also say is the promise of this technology is that if it can A, speed up product development and bring to shelves quicker, that that could potentially bring down the cost of that food. And obviously, again, if they can potentially make some of these plant-based foods 
taste better, that that is good for the overall mission of, you know, more sustainable eating and, and having more people eat in a plant-based way. Um, of course, we've seen in the past with some of these plant-based meat products, a major stumbling block has been two things. It's been the cost of the products and also taste. A lot of people still uh, have concerns about the taste or the quality of some of these products. And so if you're able to make improvements for either of those things, it could potentially be huge for the sector. We'll be back after this message. All right. So we've talked a little bit about, you know, how this is done. Um, I wonder... Like, how good is AI at making these kind of recipes right now? Is is it as good as, as people-made recipes? I mean, you guys had your experience with the muffins. And the muffin taste test, yeah. yeah, others yeah. Have Which done... we can tell the AI one wasn't just wasn't as good in this specific example, right? Right. Others mm-hmm. have done similar experiments as well. I, I remember the New York Times did a story, I think, last year where they tried to cook an entire Thanksgiving meal entirely made out of AI-generated recipes. And the outcome there was not so great either. I think that a lot of these are still newer technologies. They're still early in their evolution and still need a lot of tweaking. One thing that's been repeated to me over and over and over again from everybody that I've spoken with is that no matter how sophisticated these technologies can get anytime in the near future, they're still going to need that human element, whether it be along the way, kind of guiding the process and making sure that things that, you know, the machines and robots are are never going to quite understand about kind of humans and people and and consumer preferences and that kind of thing, making sure that the the process is, you know, kind of has guardrails along the way. And and then also just at that final stage of tasting, of testing, of looking Mm -hmm. at and touching and, and tasting. I think that human step is always going to be absolutely crucial to the process. Can you give me an example of like the the importance of, I guess, human guidance in this way? Like what, I guess, what would the AI miss that we we might catch? Well, one example uh, with Notco, for instance, that's the company that makes the plant-based milk. In one of their early versions of trying to come up with that dairy substitute product, the AI technology actually thought to use dill. They thought that it'd be a good idea to use dill, uh, except for mm-hmm. the fact that it actually turned the drink green. You know, so there, there are those things where humans are still having to intervene and still having to get involved and, and kind of teach the technology. OK, so it sounds like there's a lot of really cool stuff happening here. And uh, but I imagine with all things AI, right, there's got to be concerns on the other side. So what are the kinds of hesitations, I guess, that people have about about using AI to make our food? There are, of course, a pretty broad range of concerns, just like I think there are with all uses of AI right now. It's still a new technology. So I think there's a lot of questions and a lot of fears Of course, there are the concerns that, you know, will this technology or will these programs potentially replace human jobs? I think that's a very real concern that we hear about AI in general, and especially in a country like Canada, where 
so many jobs are in food production, are in the food industry. I think it's a fair question to ask for sure. I think ultimately, though, a lot of the discomfort comes from just the importance that food holds in most of our lives. I think that for all of us, food is an important expression of our cultures. Food is an important part of our relationships. For many of us, it's, you know, when we think of food, we think about our mothers feeding us or our grandmothers feeding us. And I think that food has always been an expression of sort of who we are as a community and who we are as humans. And so if you think about the saying, we are what we eat, what then does it mean when what we eat is no longer being produced by something or someone who is human? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting, actually, thing to, to start thinking about when we're having this conversation. Uh, and I'd actually like to take it a step further here, and too, if we can just step back a bit like and look at how not just AI, but technology has already changed our relationship with food. What are the, I guess, what are the kinds of ways that it's it's shaping things differently now? It's interesting because food and technology have always been linked, right? So the way that we eat and the kinds of food that we eat has always been shaped in large part by the technology that we have available to us. With Instagram, for instance, it became all about visually attractive food, right? About food that you could photograph, food that you could, you know, take that um, overhead beauty shot of on the plate in the restaurant. Restaurants with really good lighting all of a sudden became very important. So you can see these examples where food and technology you know, are, are really going hand in hand with one another. I think TikTok has been really interesting, both in terms of like the platform being a video platform and also it really becoming popular around the same time as the pandemic meant that a lot of people suddenly, the, the focus has been very much more on home cooking so, Anne, I mean, we've we've talked about a lot of different ways that AI is being used here, how companies are, are using it to innovate in food and food production. But I guess I wonder about the personal level, too, though. Like, what might it look like to have these tools, to have AI in our kitchen when we're cooking? A lot of these tools are already in the works. You know, there are big grocery stores out there who are using this technology to try to help consumers as they're making their way through the grocery store, uh, figuring out what to buy and put into their carts. There are kitchen appliance manufacturers, you know, people who make refrigerators and stoves and that kind of thing, who are uh, working on technology that can figure out what we have in our refrigerator and uh, based on what day it is, tell us, you know, spit out a whole meal plan for us, complete with, with recipes or, you know, put in our next grocery order for us. I think that there have been a lot of arguments over the last many decades about humans stepping further and further away from their food and becoming, you know, increasingly detached from their food and the production of their food. And, you know, most of us go to a grocery store and we buy food uh, wrapped in, you know, nice packages and we never touch kind of a farm or we don't necessarily have any hand in growing our food. Um, many of us pick up a cell phone and, and press a bunch of buttons and then food magically is delivered to our houses. Like, I think that is a very valid point. And if you are in that camp, 
then this idea of like AI and robots producing our food, you could potentially see that as, you know, the next step in us being increasingly alienated from our food. But I think that because AI also means that, you know, you or I could go to one of these tools and punch in, well, this is what I have in my refrigerator and I only have 20 minutes to cook something and this is what I feel like cooking and it's going to spit out something that's directly tailored to me and it's going to be delicious and hopefully hopefully it's going to be delicious and hopefully it's going to be something that I can actually make. Um, I think that there's also an argument to be made that this kind of technology might bring more of us to cooking, might make, you know, cooking and food feel and seem more accessible. And thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. Thank you, Manika. That's it for today. I'm Manika Raman-Wells. Michal Stein helped produce this episode. Our producers are Madeline White, Cheryl Sutherland, and Rachel Levy-McLaughlin. David Crosby edits the show. Adrian Chung is our senior producer, and Angela Pacenza is our executive editor. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll talk to you next week.